Well, something that I've learned is oftentimes you'll go into a job or even to apply for a job and you'll immediately be underestimated just because you're a woman. Instead of being offended by that or having that bum you out, I advise to use that to your advantage. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on, ladies. It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Adrienne Cruiser is in the driver's seat today. She's the owner of the Breeze RV and founder of Rivet, an education-focused industry organization. She's a licensed RV technician and inspector and will be celebrating her five-year on-the-road, or should I say nomadiversary, this year. Her passion is providing a space for RV education for the RV tradeswoman. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Adrian Cruiser in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, my friend? Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jamie. No, it's my pleasure. A woman on the road and a woman on the go. I um, <laughs> met you on the rooftop event at SEMA of 2019. It's crazy. It's been that long, right? Already? Good old COVID is is made like a time warp for all of us at Bogey's (laughs) event on the rooftop. And that's where I found out that you are a nomad and particularly with your RV, you live in your RV and you travel all over the United States. One of the coolest things ever. And it just (laughs) piqued my interest, but you didn't stop there. You ended up becoming an RV mechanic and we're going to pick your brain about that in a little bit. But I like starting in the beginning. What got you into this? What piqued your interest around the industry and kind of drew you into it? Well, I love the idea of being able to travel and be more self-sufficient than just traveling in my my automobile. Um, So having an RV with all the gizmos and gadgets, a kitchen, a bedroom uh, where you could pull over on the side of the road and camp out um, was very appealing to me. Um, And I grew up in Virginia and I love the land there, but I never quite felt at home. And so I wanted to do more exploring and explore my country uh, 
from a local's perspective. So I get to travel around and live place to place. Um, rather than a tourist, I get to live like a local everywhere. And it's been incredibly eye-opening. I've learned so much. And it's really changed my life. Wow. Now, let me back up some. Did you always <laughs> know you were going to do that? So like when you were in high school, is this the path that you'd always intended on going down? Not even close. No. <laughs> um, I was sort of destined. I was a real academic person as a youth. And in fact, I was actually um, supposed to go to the Naval Academy. I come from a military family. Uh, so everyone was pretty disappointed when I chose to go to school for fashion design at VCU in Richmond, Virginia. And I honestly planned on being an artist for the rest of my life and perhaps living in the fast lane and, you know, maybe New York or a European fashion mecca. Um, so I'm a world away from what I dreamed about when I was a teenager, <laughs> but in a good way. That is quite the opposite <laughs> there. <laughs> yes. So you ended up going to college for fashion design. Now, did you end up getting a degree in fashion design or did did you kind of take a different fork in the road? Oh, so many forks, uh, to be honest. I did not end up getting a fashion design degree. I was pretty disheartened when I realized they were really teaching us to be pattern makers, which is something I can do quite well and enjoy, but not that I wanted to do as a living. Uh, so I actually changed and switched my major to biology, uh, but I did not complete that degree. I ended up getting an associate's in business and then sort of moved on. Um, at that point, I was putting my way through school and all these sort of changes by working in both residential and commercial construction. And at the time, uh, when I was done with school, I thought that I wanted to move south. Adrian, can I ask you a quick question about that? You said you were paying your way through school through residential and commercial construction. Yes. What were you doing specifically in construction, like your role or your job? Oh, well, that's pretty wide variety there. Um, it started off hanging sheetrock in historical buildings in Richmond. And so I worked, um, it just so happened to be my boyfriend's best friend at the time had just started his construction company and he hired me on to, to hang sheetrock. And then the more work I did for him, he was like, oh, you have all kinds of skills. Let's put those to use. So I was kind of the go-to gal for all the regulations, the historical regulations that are required when you're remodeling or uh, rebuilding the historical buildings there in Richmond. So um, that's kind of how it started. And then I just got into, I met other people in the field. I met an electrician uh, who was a woman, and she taught me a lot. I worked in the field with her a little bit. Um, and then I met some other people who worked in commercial roofing. And it just so happened to be the type of job where we traveled around the DMV area, um, which is DC, Maryland, and Virginia, and uh, installed roofs on elementary schools and giant commercial buildings like that. So it was one of those things sort of like my RV career and kind of, frankly, almost everything else I've done. It just sort of started on a whim and kind of spiraled into a whole nother thing. It's crazy. And I'm glad I asked for clarification <laughs> on that because I think a lot of people assumed that when you said construction, that meant office job 
right? And there, there's this preconceived notion of if women are in certain spaces or fields, we make assumptions. And right. I'm guilty of it too. As a woman, I'm guilty of it, right? So I'm, I'm glad I asked that because you weren't paper pushing. <laughs> you were hanging <laughs> sheetrock. <laughs> you were doing electrical work. You were doing commercial roofing. You were outside doing the work. So that is correct. That is that is way cool. And I, I I find it interesting because I imagine a lot of those skills unknowingly was preparing you for (laughs) what you're doing now. Right. That's right. Isn't that wild? It's wild. It's crazy. (laughs) Now, I'm just curious, what was it like? Because construction is another male dominated field. What was that like being a woman? Or yes. is it was it one of those things like it was your boyfriend's best friend, so everyone knew you, it wasn't a big deal, or what was that like for you? No. Um, well, what it was is when I asked uh his for a job for him to hire me, you know, there were a few few chuckles around the table, my boyfriend included, like, you gotta be kidding me. And so what he did was he had had someone uh hang sheetrock incorrectly. In one particular room of this building they were working on. And so he said, if you can fix this room, meaning take down all the sheetrock and rehang it, then I'll hire you. And so it turned out whoever had hung the sheetrock, they didn't even hit any studs. It was super easy to take down, super easy to put back up. And he was kind of blown away. And so then after that, um, <laughs> it you, you build respect from different folks on your crew as you work along and they see you're working hard and that you aren't just a dingbat or when you don't know something, you ask for help. And so that respect kind of grows. Um, but of course, it always changes the dynamic of the crew. I mean, you know, even when I started in a roofing and commercial roofing, uh, the guy who hired me did not tell the boss that I was a woman at first. And he brought me to a job in Maryland and it was on an elementary school and we had a certain task set before us and he taught me how to do it. We went through and he and I did the entire roof like within a weekend. And then we went back home to Virginia. And when he told the boss, the boss couldn't believe it. He was so impressed with this work. He wanted to hire this person. And that's when um, my buddy lowered the boom that I was a woman. And uh, so the boss was really shocked, but he hired me on anyway. Uh, But I believe my buddy knew that I wouldn't be hired right out the gate if they knew that I was a woman. And he knew what kind of work I could do. And he wanted to show them that first. Adrian, I mean, <laughs> wow, you just dropped the knowledge bomb. And, and first of all, kudos to that gentleman that took that approach. Yes. That is a man that understands a male-dominated field and understands how to get a woman a job based on her merit and her yes. work ethic and not as a gender. Wow. What I, I mean – Think about that. When you were sharing that story, I'm like... It was really cool. What What was that like for you? Did you know he was doing that? I had no idea. So when he first told me, it, I was kind of like, oh, man, you're kidding me, because I almost felt duped. But then I saw what he was doing and what his purpose was, and of course, I understood it. And so I, I really appreciated what he was willing to do for me, almost kind of pulling one over on his boss, um, you know, 
to get a, a great person on the crew. I ended up being crewman of that particular crew for uh, almost a year. <laughs> wow. And I mean, someday we all hope that that's not needed, right? But the reality is, is that's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. We can acknowledge it. We figure out how to navigate within it. But that is way, way cool. So you you did that for multiple years. And when I say that, I mean in construction, various jobs in construction. That's right. Over a period of about five years, which is what it took me to go and get that associate's degree by the time I changed so many times. And then also because I was living in the city, I was living by myself, so I did have a lot of bills to pay. I always had more than one job. So I was also doing things like selling Ethiopian food from a hot dog cart and, you know, cocktail waitressing in the evenings after my construction job was done. Um, looking back, I have no idea how I did it and went to school at the same time. Um, but that's what youth is for. <laughs> yep. That's so true, right? <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. What happened then after graduation? After graduation, I planned to work in the Olympic National Forest out in Washington State. Um, And I actually started a job out there, but my family needed me back in Virginia. And so I came home. um, There was some illness in the family. And then my mom needed help with her business. So instead of pursuing uh, construction, helping reconstruct homes after Hurricane Katrina or working out in Washington, I ended up another complete career change working in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, running my mother's business as a medical administrator for uh, speech therapy and auditory verbal therapy. So I dealt with health insurance companies most of the time. And of course, everything I learned from working on construction crews with with mostly men, I became the woman who gets on the short list is what we call it in the medical field. And so My skills had me excel at that job, but I actually just hated every single second of it. I didn't like being in an office or being in a computer uh, behind a computer all day and then dealing with the insurance companies was just a nightmare. Uh, So it finally came to a breaking point where we decided to close up the business and just kind of turn our lives upside down and shake it and see what fell out. And that's kind of how I ended up on the road. And by short list, meaning that when layoffs happened, you were one of the first ones that got laid off. Is that what you mean by short list? No. By the short list, um, we all know health insurance companies in the U.S. don't pay outright necessarily for certain procedures or even procedures they oh. cover or have pre-authorized. Oh. They give you a real hassle about it. They won't cover it for the patients. They don't pay. So I ended up developing relationships with all of these different um, customer service folks at all of these different companies to where the short list meant when I called, they didn't want to deal with me because they knew I was persistent. They knew I would never give up. And so they would just go ahead and authorize it or go ahead and pay it, um, that type of thing. So that's what I mean by the short list. Um, They don't want to deal with all the hassle knowing that I wouldn't give up. So they'd go ahead and shortlist me and go ahead and take care of it instead of continuing to pass the buck. Does that make sense? No. And I'm glad I asked for clarification. Okay. Um, Yes, that makes perfect sense and good for you. And it's a shame that uh, service providers have to go through that. That's crazy. Absolutely. 
And I thought I was going to have like a heart attack before the age of 30. So that's why I had to quit that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So your mom's business, she made a decision. Let's close this down. Yes. And that was her income. That was your income. And literally, you guys turned your lives upside down. Yeah. Now, I, I have to ask, there there had to be a lead up to that, right? It's not like, hey, we're incredibly profitable <laughs> and making tons of money. Let's close it, right? right. I, I'm making an assumption here that there were, because of the constant struggle with insurance companies that it was like, this just isn't worth it anymore. That's exactly right. What was your feeling going through this? Because you said, you know, by the age of 30, I thought I was going to have a heart attack because I'm making an assumption here because of stress. Um, Mm -hmm. What were you feeling in that moment? Like I in to go through that with your with your mother, because this was her business as well. Right. Right. What was that like? And this was her baby. I mean, this was her dream. Um, It was scary. It was extremely scary. You know, you feel like you're in limbo because even though you've been having a hard time, at least you know what that's like. And when you leave that behind and go into something completely brand new and different, I mean, you don't even know what to expect, good or bad. So it was terrifying, but it was just the the dam had broken the way business was going. You always have more than enough business, more than enough patients than you can see, but the way you get paid isn't sustainable. And we were going to end up bankrupt if we didn't do something, quite frankly. And it was scary. I mean, looking back, it was all very traumatic. Um, To be honest, because, I mean, that was my childhood home that my mother sold when we left and hit the road and we left very unceremoniously and it was almost all kind of in an emergency status at that point. So it was terrifying in a word. How did you guys get through it? Um, Well, thankfully, we have each other. And we're a couple of tough broads. It's always been the two of us in my family. So I love that phrase. <laughs> Say it again, Adrian. We're a couple of tough broads. Let's hear it. We're a couple of tough broads. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So we know we can get through anything. It's just how. And you just have to push through the fear of it. You know, we just put one foot in front of the other. We had goals in mind. You know, we wanted to sell our homes and then purchase an RV, trade in my truck, all these concrete goals. And so through all the fear, we just put one foot in front of the other and checked off the goals as we could. Now, I'm just curious, like it's one thing to, you know, look on a piece of paper and it says sell house, sell truck, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, whose house sold first, yours or your mom's? Mine. So when when you actually closed on your house and you literally had no place to live at that point, you sold your home because it's not like you moved to an apartment. That's right. The intention was to get an RV. Yes. What was that experience like leaving the bank or title agency, wherever it was? It was also terrifying. I I wish I could say it was exciting. I wish I could say, you know, it was a a great leap forward to something new. Um, But it was, you kind of feel like the grounds dropped out from under you. Um, I had a truck camper at the time that I kept on my truck 
And I moved that over to my mother's house. And, you know, you almost feel defeated, even though you're working towards a goal that you think that you want. It wasn't easy. I mean, it wasn't anything exciting about it. Um, It was just something that had to be done. When you go from owning a home to living in an (laughs) RV, there's a lot of things that you no longer need. Yes. Did you just end up selling all of that stuff off or donating it? What did you end up doing with all of it? That's what um, both my mother and I spent about two years between donations. And we donated way more than we ever sold. Yard sales and then also selling off individual items. Um, You know, I... (laughs) I was a big shoe person. So I had a closet in my house just for my shoes. (laughs) And I ended up giving most of those away. So there was, were many more things that I gave away or donated. And then even uh, the folks at the local dump got to know myself and my dogs by name. (laughs) So there was a lot that went to just the garbage too. (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking about that. In trying to put myself in your shoes, and you have these things that you've collected throughout your life, whether it be furniture or, in your example, shoes, and then Mm -hmm. literally just walking away from it. It's pretty radical. Um, And I I, I like to say I'm a recovering hoarder. Uh, I would love to be a minimalist, (laughs) uh, but I've spent most of my life being kind of a maximalist. (laughs) But I don't think that's helped me in a lot of ways. And I, I want to live more simply. So there were many items that I had collected over the years or someone special had given to me or that I picked out myself that were just beloved. But at the end of the day, uh, the goblet's already broken. It's all already gone. I enjoyed it while I had it. Um, Now, hopefully someone else is enjoying it. And my life is a lot less cluttered. (laughs) And and I appreciate your willingness to really explore the experience and the feeling. Because I have to be honest, Adrian, when we spoke that evening on the rooftop, and you shared with me that you travel all over the United States in an RV, you don't own a home or you refer to it as a homestead. Mm-hmm. Like there's something so sexy and inviting and cool about that. Like this adventure <laughs> that, you know, it's like, oh, I want to live vicariously through you. Right. And, like that's so cool, right? <laughs> but it goes back to like the things that we see on social media. What you are seeing meaning a viewer looking at an Instagram post or a Facebook post, wasn't ever an easy road to get there. Everyone has their journey and it's challenging. And people want to believe that, you know, for for example, your story, oh, sold everything and mm-hmm. bought an RV and traveled the world. <laughs> well, yes, those those facts are true. <laughs> but there's so many twists and turns and how you end up there and you know it, it it's just it's fascinating and the reality is is we all have struggles to get to where we're at right now period and this is no different 
Exactly. And I've, you make a great point because that's what we see is these beautiful stories on Instagram, just like you said, sold everything I owned, hit the road in an RV, la-di-da. Well, it's a lot more difficult to sell everything you own if you've owned things for almost 40 years or in my mother's case, almost 70 years. And it's a lot more challenging and challenging to the heart and your soul and your spirit than what we see on, you know, Instagram. And of course, it's that's not to say it's not fun and exciting, too. And I'm very grateful for my lifestyle, uh, but it's not without its challenges. For sure. Absolutely. So you sold your house. Right. So for two years before I sold my home, um, and see, we also had a business property for sale. So there was so much going on just for the two of us. That's why we took a long period of time to sort of get rid of our belongings uh, because we knew we couldn't do it all in one big crunch. So then after we sold my mother's home, we hit the road and went to Florida to become residents of Florida because that is one of the main states that supports full-time RVers where you can have your residency there. Um, And we left Virginia, hadn't sold our our commercial property yet. And, um, you know, really just flying by the seat of our pants, winging it at almost everything. Found an RV that we liked, bought it and moved in immediately. Uh, Then we spent about a month traveling around Florida, getting to know our new home state um, and the Everglades and that sort of thing and learning the ins and outs of this new RV. I also had left behind the truck camper I had, hadn't sold yet. So I left that with a trusted friend who sold it for me and sent me the money. Um, So I'm super thankful for folks like that and friendships like that. But yeah, and that's how then we ended up in the RV. (laughs) Now, I'm curious more than anything, because I I shared with you a goal I have to purchase an RV someday and drive all over the United States and even Canada and meet a lot of the women face to face that I've interviewed and interview new and different women along the way. How did you decide on the RV that you ultimately bought? Like, what was that process like? Because going from owning a home, I imagine there's different inspections and things you pay attention to for a home than you do an RV. Right. Definitely. Um, and, And first of all, I'm so excited about that project. And I can't wait to see that come to fruition one day and help you out in any way I can. It's very exciting. A very exciting idea you have there. I chose a travel trailer. Uh, There are several different kinds of RVs and we basically split them up between motorized and towable. And I love my pickup trucks and I knew whatever I would be doing, I would need a pickup truck for work. Don't ask me how I knew that. I just assumed (laughs) that I would need one. And so I didn't want to get rid of the truck and trade it in for a motorized RV find a smaller vehicle to tow behind us or that sort of thing. So that's what led me to a towable RV. Many people prefer a fifth wheel over a travel trailer because of towability. They say that it tows nicer. It it tracks right behind your truck a lot nicer than a travel trailer. 
And that is true to some extent. Uh, people also believe it's easier to park them and back them up. Uh, toot my own horn here. I don't have any problem backing up and parking my travel trailer. So why I picked the travel trailer is because it's one level living and because it had two separate bedrooms. Now, that's one thing that's super rare. You don't see a lot of mom-daughter duos living full-time on the road in an RV. So most of these RVs are for either couples, individuals, or maybe families with young children. So they have bunk houses for small children, but they don't have actual rooms that are separate. So that was one of our just, um, we were not willing to compromise on that. So that led us to this particular trap. Adrian, I have to bring this up because I know there's some listeners out there that'll be like, I could never live in an RV with my mother. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got it. I got it. Like, I know there is a population of women out there and probably men too. Mm-hmm. The idea of living and not just in a home, right? But right. an RV, a much more confined space. So you guys must get along pretty well in order to do that. Well, apparently we do. Um, <laughs> but that is, it's not ideal. It's not easy. And we definitely cramp each other's style from time to time. Uh, we both used to live alone and we loved living alone. We, we absolutely loved having our own spaces and being alone. She's like that. I'm like that to a certain extent. So that was something we both had to get used to at first that was really difficult. Um, But now we're doing pretty well. You know, I let her know when I need some me time and maybe I'm going to go, you know, take the dog to the park or something like that. Or if she lets me know she just wants some me time to hang out in the RV a little while, you know, I'll go do something somewhere else. So we're communicating pretty well about that, but it is challenging. I mean, I've joked that I'll never date again as long as we're living together in this RV. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That might be a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it's definitely, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's pretty weird, but it's works for us. Like I said, we're, we're all the family we have. So I'm, I feel pretty lucky that, you know, even though it's annoying sometimes um, and we definitely get on each other's nerves sometimes, I feel incredibly lucky that I get to have this time with her uh, as an adult and, you know, explore all these really cool places together. And I get to show her stuff she would have never seen before uh, and vice versa when we travel together. So, yes, I completely understand that it is unusual and it's definitely a challenge. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you being candid and open about that and the experience. So you chose a travel trailer mm-hmm. and you went down to Florida. That's right. We we went to Florida and bought the travel trailer in Florida just to make the ease of transition for the plates and, and insurance and everything. We were already then residents of Florida. So that made everything easier. I'm just kind of going through here. At what point were you like, you know what? I'm going to become an RV mechanic. <laughs> Where it's just like, <laughs> did, did it come out of necessity for you to learn to maintain and keep up your own travel trailer? Or was it more of a larger interest? Uh, it was definitely out of necessity. Uh, 
not only did I need to understand how to perform regular maintenance on all the appliances um, and everything on my own RV, but you're rattling down the road in these things. And even though they're built tough, certain components become undone after a certain number of miles down the road. And it, it really behooved me to be able to locate those items and do a quick repair rather than wait who knows how long for a mobile RV technician or for it to be serviced at a dealership. So sometimes to get your RV serviced at a dealership, you can be looking at six months out having your RV back to you. And that's during a slow season. Six months? Yes. So it's not like, really right. So it's not like I'm going to go get my truck work service tomorrow and it'll be less than an hour and I'll be out of there and every, you know, right. It's not like that at all. <laughs> now, why is that? Especially for like a travel trailer. Right. I'm sitting there thinking it's like, there's not even an engine on this thing. Right. I, I get appliances. I get that and generators, but it's like, I can, to your point, take my car and get an oil change, get tires rotated, get new tires on it. I mean, quite a bit of things done in less than a day. Right. <laughs> exactly. Why so long? Well, the the problem is, is the lack of RV technicians. So there are very few technicians. Even a giant dealership just doesn't have enough qualified technicians to do the work quickly enough. So they get a backlog of work. Educate me a little bit here, Adrian. Are RV technicians' salaries comparable to like mechanic salary? Now, I have to be honest with you. I don't know because I'm not familiar with a mechanic salary. But um, RV technicians make very good money. Um, when it comes to starting off in a shop or at a dealership, you're looking at you know maybe a sixteen to eighteen dollars an hour type of thing just doing pre-purchase inspections and kind of being the shop kid. Um, but then technicians can eventually make up to anywhere from 40 to $65 an hour. That's for in a dealership or in a mobile shop. And then of course, if you're a mobile technician, uh, you can make a hundred dollars an hour. Really? Yes. I bet you there's a lot of people that have no clue. I didn't. Right. And that's why I would like to get more folks in this career, particularly more tradeswomen, uh, because there's a lot of opportunity, whether you want to be a W-2 worker and work at a shop or whether you're an entrepreneur who wants to open up a business. There's tons of opportunity here. And it's because we have such a diverse range of components that we are servicing. There's just an endless number of components in RVs, an endless number of styles of water heater, for instance, endless number of styles of absorption refrigerator. So there's just no limit to the amount of knowledge you can acquire to work on these RVs. And there's an unlimited um, space for people to specialize in different areas of RV service. Wow, my mind's being blown right now. <laughs> I mean, talk about learning something that you could apply to your personal life for sure in every stretch of the imagination, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I want to bring up a couple things because um, 
when I started listening to you talk, I'm like, she hasn't mentioned anything about an engine. <laughs> because uh, you called out, there's um, travel trailers, there's fifth wheels, and then there's motored. So basically an RV that has a motor. Right. <laughs> you, you, you drive it, right? Yes. When I thought of RV mechanic, I immediately thought of engine work. But you have since educated me, smack me around to educate <laughs> me so I'm not ignorant here. You didn't smack me around, but make sure I'm educated. <laughs> is that an RV mechanic actually doesn't do any work on an engine if the RV is motorized. It's pretty much everything else that is not the engine. And that's correct for most of us mobile folks like myself. You will have some RV technicians who work on the motorized aspects of the RVs at your dealerships and that type of thing. But because of our liability insurance specifically, a lot of mobile RV technicians are working on everything but your motors. There are some that are limited to everything but your engine and your brakes. They don't work on the brakes or engine. So mm -hmm. there's a variety there, but you're correct. Not all RV technicians are also like diesel mechanics because, see, we have a lot of right. Class A diesel pushers, and that's just a very specific skill set. Yeah, for sure. I'm just putting together my thoughts here, and I'm thinking about – you know, refrigerators, generators, all of those things. And that's the other thing I think you shared with me. There's only three colleges or institutions that offer RV cer uh, mechanic certification. That's right. In the United States. That's right. Three in the whole United yeah. States. Wow. And you have that on your website. Right. For women to if they're interested or men, whomever, to go and get more information on those institutions. That's right. Correct? It, uh, my organization that I founded when I opened my my own business is Rivet, R-V-I-T, RV Industry Trades Women. And at our website there, you can find information on all the schools available. We are an international organization. I like to look at sort of the global industry. So I do talk about schools and standards in other countries and how they compare to ours here in the U.S., um, as well as different information about how to start an RV career, RV technician career, if you are interested. <laughs> no, that that's great. And I'm going to remind all the women out there and you, if you have not entered your information on the resource page at femcanic.com, uh, it's free advertisement for your companies and for yourself. So, Adrian, you need to go submit two of them, yes. one for yourself as an individual and one for Rivet. Yes, and I did that a little bit earlier today, so you Beautiful. let me know if I need to add anything. <laughs> for sure, because this is all about promoting and cross-promoting and helping lift each other up as women. Yes. And um, that's that's my stance with Femcanic. I'm, I'm here to help all of you. And to really get your guys' name and company and purpose to help you drive it even further and help spread that. Now, if you were to buy an RV now, knowing what you know now, do you still ha own that same travel travel trailer? 
Boy, say that 10 times fast. Right. (laughs) I still own the same travel trailer. It is totaled not from wreckage, but from a component malfunction. So I am currently still living in that RV, but I'm currently shopping for a new RV. So this is perfect timing for this question, (laughs) right? I was going to ask, knowing what you know now, What are the key things that if someone is buying, going to go buy an RV, this is maybe an ignorant, but I'm just so curious about this stuff. You buy a house, you pay an inspector to inspect the home. Do you pay an inspector to inspect a used RV? Because there's a lot of people who don't have the money to buy a brand new RV. They're buying a used RV. That's right. Well, as an inspector myself, um, which is a credential I've picked up sort of accidentally along quite similar to my college education. I picked up an inspector certification on my way to becoming an RV technician sort of by accident. And before I became a technician, I would recommend having an RV inspected. Now that I know what I know from both my experience with my own travel trailer, as well as through my own business performing inspections, I highly recommend the number one thing that I believe anyone looking to purchase any RV is to have that RV inspected prior to purchase. And I mean, either a new or a used RV. A lot of folks say, of course, you want to inspect a used RV. That sounds obvious, but why would you have a new RV inspected? Well, one example why is I bought a brand new travel trailer and it came from the factory with the neutral and ground wires switched, uh, which if you know even a little bit about electricity, that is extremely dangerous. That is incredibly dangerous. <laughs> Whoops. That's right. Holy mackerel. And that's directly from the factory on a brand new unit. And that unfortunately wasn't the only thing that I found. Um, now, anyone who's been RVing for a while, they already know this. They say when you buy an RV, the first two years, you're just figuring out everything they messed up at the factory. And they joke about that. But to be quite frank, that's the truth. Um, But that's why I recommend for folks, even if you're buying a brand new RV, it needs to be inspected by a qualified inspector. And then certainly a used RV, you want to have that inspected too. Now, I understand a lot of folks uh, see the prices of some inspectors in some locations, and they forgo an inspection thinking that that costs too much money. Um, But when you're looking at the kind of purchase you're making, for an RV, which is a large investment, it's worth it to protect yourself, to prevent yourself from buying a limit. I mean, give me an idea because I'm, I'm oblivious, Adrian. How much does an inspection cost? Well, now at my business, I do things a little differently than some other inspectors. My prices for my inspections range anywhere from $300 to $600. Um, And then road tests, as well as fluid analysis, is extra. Um, But I have been told sort of from Arizona to Oregon that I'm one of the more affordable inspectors. And I do that intentionally because I'm an RVer myself and because I'm a full-time RVer and I want to help people have better experiences with buying RVs and getting into RVing than I had. So I want to improve the industry. And so that's sort of why I do the things the way I, that I do. Do you have uh, 
I don't know through your business if you've created kind of a cheat sheet for a, a new RV buyer of, hey, look at these things, or this is what you need to watch out for. Not as an inspection replacement, mm-hmm. but I started looking at RVs, Adrian, and I felt so overwhelmed yes. where I just had to walk away from it. Not that I'm ready to buy one right now, but from an education perspective, you know, it's one thing to buy a car, Mm -hmm. right? Whole next level (laughs) buying an RV, you know, and and I would equate it similar to buying a home. Absolutely. And and it was just overwhelming where it's like, what do I even, you know what I mean? Where I call and ask questions where I can even start to narrow it down besides certain features I want. Right. right. But I'm looking at used RVs. Like, even if I called to ask them questions before I decide, do is this worth my time to drive there? I wouldn't even begin to know what the critical things to, to ask or look out for or gotchas, if you will. Have you ever created something like that for your website or anything like that? A tool? Well, that's a great idea. And I love the idea of having a tool like that. I have not created one. Um, The reason why is because it's so tough to narrow down. Um, And when you're speaking to someone who just assume that someone's coming to you and doesn't know anything about RVs, I mean, where do you even begin? So that's a good idea. I'm going to make a mental note to to sort of think on that and see what I could create in the future um, that could help others because I love the idea, but it's just really difficult to narrow it down on these things. There are so many different components. There are so many different variables. I think from a buyer's perspective, Adrian, my big thing is what are the gotchas? The major gotchas where it's like, if this is missed, you know, for a car, for example, a, a good, a good simple thing to look at is mileage. Right. Right. What's the equivalent of those high level well things for an RV? Like, I even look like if it's a used car, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's check the tire tread. Right. That gives me an idea. Okay. Tire tread's kind of low. Uh, buy something I'm going to have to buy here pretty soon are tires, uh, brake pads. Let me let me check those. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's right. some basic checklist things where you could look at. It's just I'm not even sure what is it tire tread. I mean, well, I think it would be sure. because you'd have to buy tires. Sure. But right. So I, I got what you mean. And and for instance, like on RVs on the tires. What I look for is the DOT code. So how old are these tires? Even if they look good, the tread tests out, the sidewalls look good. Are they over six years old? Because if so, that's a life safety issue. So tires, of course, are number one. That is a perfect example, my friend. Okay. (laughs) Because I would have never thought to look at the date. Yeah. Right. Because I'm used to an everyday driver. And that is a perfect example of the thing to put on the checklist. I think the average person would know, hey, there's not a lot of tread on here. But what we don't think about for RVs is that oftentimes they're not driven a ton and they sit more than they're driven. got it. That's right. So the time aspect of it, that is a perfect example, my friend, (laughs) that I would love on a checklist like that where it's 
you know, you know that just because of your experience. And for a novice or someone just kind of looking high level to, you know, narrow it down to the top three in their list. Right. And it gives them negotiating capabilities, right? Absolutely, yes. And that's one of the biggest things I believe my clients gain from my inspection reports is not only to help them make decisions as to whether they want to make an offer on that RV or not, but to help with their negotiating. So it might still be an RV that they want. There aren't any deal breakers, but they do have some life safety issues that they can use as negotiation tools. Um, two things that I do recommend to folks looking for new RVs is number one, there are tens of thousands of RVs, both used and new on the road in the United States of America. And so I feel like oftentimes, both my, myself included, um, folks will get so excited about super low mileage or just the absolute perfect floor plan, or maybe it's the color scheme that they're just obsessed with. They, they focus on that and decide that they have to have that RV when maybe there's, that's not quite the right fit. Maybe the seller isn't into negotiating for a fair price. I let people know that if it's not just right, please walk away because there's plenty of these out there. Don't get yourself into a bind because you think, you know, this one, it's going to sell immediately and it's going to be gone and I'm never going to find it again. It's out there. And I guarantee you'll find it if you keep looking. Um, And then the number two thing is the biggest deal with the RVs in general is what we call water intrusion. So if you think about a regular sticks and bricks home with a leaky roof, um, that's a big problem, right? Well, it's the same thing on an RV. So if you haven't performed the correct maintenance on your roof and sidewalls, you can get water damage. And this is a really big deal in the RVs. Um, We see it all the time. It happens from plumbing components inside the RV, busting or failing. And it also happens from the elements. And so I ask that folks who are shopping for RVs walk around the RV with a heavy foot. So instead of being ginger, you know, not trying to get the tile dirty or something, walk around like you're carrying in groceries. Um, Go in the bathroom and kind of stomp around like you had an annoying day or something, because that's going to tell you if you have any kind of loose floorboards, loose walls, something's a little hollow where it shouldn't be in the bathroom shower, for instance. And that can be an indication of water intrusion. And that's a red flag. So those are the two things that I do recommend to folks um, besides something concrete there, like checking the tire dates. Um, You know, don't lock yourself in just because you think it's the only time you'll ever find a floor plan with two bedrooms. Um, And then go through and, and walk through that RV you're thinking about buying like you would if you owned it. Does that make sense? Yes, that is sound okay. advice. And, <laughs> in, in, you know, what has been apparent in this interview is that you are an expert in this field. And not only an expert from a knowledge perspective, but from an experience perspective. You don't just study it, you live it. So it, it, it is both. And that's next level expertise in my mind. 
And, and it's one thing to go to work and do your job. It's another to go to work and do your job and you live it. <laughs> right? Thank you. Yes. We talked about something before, Adrian, where I asked you, is it okay if we talk about this in the interview? And you were gracious enough to explore and consider this. And I, I want to ask, one, do you know what I'm referring I to? <laughs> Is that still on the oh, table to explore? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. And I, I'm asking this because as women in a male-dominated industry, you know, I used to say we think that we have to be perfect. And, and you know what, Adrian? It, it's, it's beyond our perception of needing to be perfect. We are oftentimes put in that position. Absolutely. Through comments of, oh, you're just a girl. And sometimes there's a lot more crude comments that I've read <laughs> and women have shared with me. So that's on the light right. side. To darn right getting passed over on jobs because either the client or the employer thinks that they're incapable just because of their gender. Absolutely. So this isn't just a female's perception. It actually happens out there, yes. right? So what I'm getting to is we're going to explore a story that you shared with me that, you know, as women, we're hesitant in sharing it on a platform like the Femcanic Garage podcast because we struggle so much with being taken seriously and being viewed as an expert in our field. So I just want to applaud you for your willingness to go there and ultimately so other women can hear your story and know that it's okay. We don't always have to be perfect and we can move through it. So Adrian, if you don't mind kind of sharing that story with the Femcanic community. All right. And thank you, Jamie. Thank you for making it easy to share too, because that's really important. And I appreciate that. You had asked me sort of, had anything happened um, in my trade that kind of gut punched me and that I struggled to overcome? And what instantly came to my mind is about a year ago, I replaced the tires on my own travel trailer and everything had gone well and the job was as normal, but I got distracted at the end. And so I took off and hit the road. And sure enough, I lost two whole tires on the interstate because I forgot to torque the lug nuts. Now, this is an example where it wasn't a lack of knowing. Like, obviously, you torque the lug nuts. I've, I've changed a million tires. I know how to do it. It wasn't a lack of knowing. It was simply a moment's inattention. Um, it didn't make it on the list when I, once I got distracted, I didn't put, go back and torque the lug nuts on the list. And so there I was on the side of the interstate with two brand new tires and the wheels attached down the road. And, um, something, I don't know if I shared with you when we talked, but the most embarrassing part <laughs> is that folks where I was are really friendly and super helpful. Thank goodness right? Well, it just so happened that every other mobile RV technician in my area, uh, otherwise known as competitors, <laughs> s 
stopped by the road um, to ask us what had happened and if they could help us make sure we had water because it was here in Phoenix where it's super hot. You have to have water in a situation like that. Um, So it was awesome because they stopped to offer a hand, but it was also super embarrassing because here are all these guys that already give you a hard time being you know, their competitor and here your foolish self has lost two whole wheels on the side of the interstate. And so naturally I was able to recover the RV. I even recovered one of the two wheels and uh, got myself sorted and got back on the road. And then, you know, one of the folks who helped me get off the road he could tell I was feeling pretty bad and pretty upset. And uh, he told me a story about how he once uh, sunk his whole Bronco in a pond one time, the whole thing just sunk. And so, you know, he was trying to make me feel better, but at the time it didn't make me feel any better at all. And um, so here it's a year later and I'm finally just kind of giving myself a break about it because it's a simple mistake that anyone can make. It wasn't for a lack of knowing, not that it would be unacceptable if it was a lack of knowing, um, but it was something that I know and still made a mistake. And so I'm trying to give myself a break about it because I've been giving myself a pretty hard time. It's hard. It is. It really is. It is. And and I think there's so many beautiful lessons in that, in in your willingness to share that, uh, because it, it's hard sharing stuff like it that. Is. It is. <laughs> and, and, and it's it's a vulnerability that quite often as humans, we want to avoid. So thank you for being willing to share that. And I, th- I think the bottom line is, is as women in male-dominated industries, we have to give ourselves grace. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard. Definitely. Right? It is. You referred to it as a gut punch, but it was not only a gut punch, but from a confidence perspective. Mm-hmm. As an expert in your field, you said that it really shook your confidence. Big time. Big time. And like you say about how there are almost sometimes higher standards for us just by virtue of being a woman in the field, um, having my fellow technicians see me in that position and being embarrassed about that was a big hit to my confidence in my field. Um, in addition to just it happening at all. Right. (laughs) Right. So it was definitely a hit to my confidence and it's something that I've been having to work hard on trying to build back up. How did you do that? How are you doing that? Well, the first thing I have to do, this is kind of how I confront sort of a fear head on type of thing is the first thing I had to do was take the tires off and put them back on and torque the lug nuts and then drive the RV without the tires falling off. So that was like step one (laughs) Um, is do the thing that I messed up at and do it correctly this time and see if I can succeed at that. You know, it's not all that different from what we teach kids. Like, I, I remember my son learning to ride a bike. <laughs> I got to share this funny story, Adrian. You'll probably get a kick out of this. He was uh, five, maybe? And <laughs> he he had just learned. We taught him how to go down a hill so that he had the momentum right. so he wasn't wobbly. Mm-hmm. So this was right in the beginning when his training wheels were off. And it's kind of like what they teach you if you ever drive 
in NASCAR. Like, don't look at the wall. Look at where you want to go. Wherever you look is where you're going to go. So don't look at the Mm -hmm. wall. Well, we're going down this path, and part of this path has a little creek that goes under it. And what does he do? I'm like, he's in front of us, and I'm like, look straight ahead. Look straight ahead. Look at the path. Look at the path. And he's five years old. What does he do? Stares straight at the creek and just steers right towards it, <laughs> right into the creek. Like I had my fingertips on his T-shirt and I just couldn't oh. get him fast enough. <laughs> the little shit went right into the creek. <laughs> He's soaked, right? So we get him out of the creek and take his wet shirt off. He gets back on his bike and we were ready to be done, but we took another lap around just so he had to go over the creek again. I love it. And and it's the same concept. And sometimes we tend to overcomplicate things, don't we? Definitely. That's a beautiful sentence. <laughs> what you said is so simple. If if you got smacked in the face in your career, whatever that thing is, and you know that you're doing what you should be doing. And it was just an oversight or you got distracted. Pick yourself up and go back and do it again. That's right. And that's where we have to start. And I can't think of a more beautiful place to lead into the red line round to get some more knowledge bombs from you. Are you ready for the red line round? As ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) (laughs) What the red line round is, just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? Perfect. Yes. All right. Adrian, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Oh, well, I'd have to say my mom, even though she doesn't work in the industry herself, she showed me my entire youth that when you want to do something, you can achieve it if you put your mind to it and do it. And that's what I did. Well done, mom. What's mom's name? Denise. <laughs> Denise, you did good, mom. You have to be a proud mother right now. Adrian, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or get stuck on the job? Well, there are many resources online, thankfully, for RV industry folks who have come up before us. One of my favorites is RV Education 101 with Mark Polk. And another favorite is RV Electricity with Mike Scopel. Um, And those are two great resources for both consumers and technicians. Ooh. I'm totally going to go check this out <laughs> out of curiosity. Now, are those YouTube videos or just websites? Uh, RV Education 101 is a website and RV Electricity is a YouTube channel. Nice. Nice. What excites you most about what you do? There's always something new to learn because there are unlimited components There are unlimited RV inventions, and I'm never bored. I like the idea of never being bored, (laughs) for sure. What's a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? A personal habit or practice? 
I like to get out of my own head for a little bit when I feel stuck. I'm a big audiophile. I love music. So I like to put on some headphones and put on some of my favorite playlists and kind of rock out for a little bit, get my mind completely off the problem at hand. And nine times out of 10, it either comes to me or I have a creative idea of where to find out what I'm looking for. Top songs on that playlist. Pick one or two. Oh, uh, UGK's One Day, uh, L. King, Baby Outlaw. Okay, what genre are those? <laughs> I guess rock and roll and then hip hop. Nice, nice. <laughs> I'm going to look those up. Those don't ring a bell, but now you have piqued my curious, Adrian. <laughs> and finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Well, something that I've learned is oftentimes you'll go into a job or even to apply for a job and you'll immediately be underestimated just because you're a woman. Instead of being offended by that or having that bum you out, I advise to use that to your advantage. Uh, For example, as an inspector, oftentimes dealerships will refuse to have an RV inspected. I've never been turned away from an RV dealership because I'm just unassuming. And I use that to my advantage. And I think that's something others could do, too. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. (laughs) I I like to say make annoying work for you. So like take something negative, like being underestimated and turn it into the silver lining, pull the silver lining out of it, make it work for you. Oh, that's fascinating. (laughs) I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. Cool. Well, it's not to be just positive all the time, but to, to use the negative to turn it into positivity. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Man, I I really, really like that. That makes perfect sense, especially the unassuming part. Mm -hmm. It's like less threatening. Right. Right. And you can use that to your advantage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Where and how can people connect with you and your business? All right. Well, for social media, um, both my business and my organization are on Instagram. So that's the Breeze RV on Instagram and RVI Tradeswomen on Instagram. I also have a website for both my business, thebreezerv.com, and Rivet is rvit.life because we're living it. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Folks, go and check out her information. Even if you don't think you're going to buy an RV, it's still interesting and there's still stuff to learn. Fascinating. Adrian, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and being willing to share with the community. You know, one of the instances in your career that you're not proud of. Being willing to share it and just shine your light so that it gives permission for other women to shine their light and really work through those things. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing so much great information (laughs) and educating me. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) I'm Adrian Cruiser, owner of The Breeze RV, founder of Rivet, and I'm a femcanic. Tammy Tacklenberg is in the driver's seat next. 
As a visionary leader in the automotive aftermarket for 25 years, Tammy has been instrumental in launching three companies and contributing to eight merger and acquisition transactions for startups. She served as the president of Women in Auto Care, a global community focused on connecting, empowering, and mentoring women. She's an active member of the Women in Automotive Board of Directors and Auto Care Board of Directors. Be sure to tune in to listen to this veteran's story. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?